I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Aubrey. She has common variable immunodeficiency and granulomatous, granulomatous and lymphocytic interstitial lung disease. Jesus, that's a mouthful. Glilled. Let's talk about it. Uh, guess what, guys? What? what? We are going to be hanging out with Aubrey today, um, and we're going to be talking about something that I know I've never heard of. I have a feeling neither have you guys, and this okay. is going to be like completely brand new for us, which is kind of fun because listen to this. This episode that we are about to record with Aubrey technically is the 400th conversation that we have had on our Monday recordings. So basically our 400th conversation with someone who's dealing with illness. And out of the 400 people we've had on the show, this is the first time we're going to be talking about... I'm going to give it a shot. All right, here we go, Aubrey. You you fucking... You (laughs) help me out here. Common variable immunodeficiency and... So known as CVID, I'm guessing that's how they say it. And granulomatous and lymphocytic interstitial lung disease, also known as GLILD. Yes. (laughs) What a great great acronym. I can't even say the real GLILD name, so it's okay. Is it actually GLILD? It's, they say glilled, yeah. Okay, and then sweet. BVID is the first one too. I, I How, was trying to really say glilled. I, I was saying glilled. I was saying glilled as a as a joke because I was like, it's got it. It's got to be G L I L D. But glilled. Well, some people say that, I guess. I, I'm sure they do. I, I do like glilled. Though. I say it now, glilled. <laughs> um, like I'm, I am a like bad it. impression of a Norwegian. <laughs> yeah. Glilled. Uh, Aubrey, I have to I have to jump right in on on this one because I'm curious. Like as soon as you hear CVID, I'm I'm sure that it's easy to like make the connect <laughs> make make the jump or leap to COVID, which yes. it's not. Mm. But how? I, I don't even know how long you've you've lived with this for, but I'm curious. Um, what's it like having CVID when COVID is a global pandemic that <laughs> took over the entire fucking world? Yeah. So basically, unfortunately, I was diagnosed in 2019. So oh. I had this for like six months and then COVID came out. So I started calling my disease COVID without the O. Aha, that's a good title yeah. for it's an actually- episode. <laughs> <laughs> COVID without the O. So when I would search things, it would come up as COVID. And then I have to explain, you know. Yeah. 
You, yeah. you, yeah, you had the C, the V, the I, and the D long before COVID became cool. C, you were like the, 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 the you're like the seaved hipster of San Diego. Yes. Um, uh, okay, so so Aubrey, before we get into the thick of it, introduce yourself to our listeners. Give us a sense of uh, who you are. All right. Okay. So I'm Aubrey. I'm originally from Kansas City. Then I went to Colorado State University. Go Rams. <laughs> and basically, during my freshman year of college, everything was going great. I was in a sorority, meeting friends, having a great time. Then I suddenly fell very, very ill. About halfway through, I got a ton of sinus infections, all kinds of stuff. And then I ended up going to an immunologist right after my freshman year, and I was diagnosed with CVID at the time. And then later on, I got that GLILD diagnosis. But basically, when I got this CVID diagnosis, I was told that I had to um, start these plasma treatments and that I would have to essentially do them for the rest of my life. And so I had a really, really hard time with this in college because I was kind of trying to, you know, continue to be a normal college kid, things like that. So I ended up being able to continue college and I graduated a year ago and then I got a job out in San Diego. So now I work for a tech startup out in San Diego. So I've been here for like a year um, outside of talking about chronic illness. I love a lot of other things. I like to play tennis. I like to watch TV and I like to go to the beach. So do that's you, kind of a gist about me. Do you play pickleball? No, but a lot of people do around here. Yeah, my pickleball yeah. is fucking huge. It's, it's blowing crazy. up. Pickleball is blowing up. really big. Yeah. yeah. But I just can't get myself to do it because it feels like fake tennis. Like, <laughs> I just like to play tennis. I don't know. I played in high school. So, Pick- pickleball to me is like oversized ping pong. Um, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But hey, that is what it is. Nothing wrong with ping pong. I mean, and... I think that's technically what tennis is. So, uh, yeah. So yeah. I guess it's like fake oversized ping pong. <laughs> right. Okay. So, <laughs> so this is. Uh, thank you for that, and thanks for the context there. Um, uh, I I always I always find it fascinating to talk to young people who are like somewhat newly diagnosed with a chronic illness, <sighs> and especially especially um, you know talking to people who are diagnosed at that at that like kind of kind of like critical time in one's life um yeah. uh that that sort of transitionary period of like leaving high school like living your own life kind of transitioning into adult life um taking that and then like lumping it which is stressful right like that's a stressful mm-hmm. environment for yeah. everybody and for anybody um the thing that i always find so confusing is how do you end up getting a diagnosis in university when you described basically what I had as my university experience, which was like going out, joining like a group of partying type people and then getting sick. Like I just assumed that (laughs) I was getting sick because I was consuming drinking too too much. much But like, how do you, (laughs) how do you find out that it's not that? (laughs) Yeah. So basically I kept hearing every time I went to the university health center, Everybody gets sick their first year in the dorms. So I was living in the dorms with a bunch of people. Yeah. But I got like three strep infections, like sinus infections, all that stuff. And I was told like repeatedly, like, yeah, everyone gets sick. And I knew a lot of other people that also got sick that didn't really end up having any disease or anything. So (laughs) then I was just like, 
Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Like it seems so normal. And I was not keen to go to the doctor at the time. Like I never really had issues before. So I was like, oh, this is fine. But yeah, it was like six months later that I was like, okay, maybe this is not normal. Like my life is really miserable right now. But yeah, I mean, I was, I had like a thriving, like social life, like Colorado state, super social. So everybody's going out and doing a ton of things. (laughs) And so, yeah, it was definitely weird. That turning point of like, okay, maybe this is not normal Mm -hmm. and I shouldn't live like this. I mean, I had no idea what was going on. I was like, is there black mold or something? Like, right. I, Mm -hmm. I was like, am I allergic to something in Colorado because I moved Like, that's how it started because I thought I was, like, allergic to something. So I went to an allergist and allergy and immunology, like, go hand in hand. Mm. Okay. So uh, I guess I guess to, like, get to the bottom of this right off the bat, like, what is uh, CVID? What what it like? What does that what does that even mean? So I will give my best explanation as a non-medical expert. But basically, CVID is when your immune system malfunctions. Basically, it's a lack of functioning immune system. And so it's a type of primary immunodeficiency. So PI is kind of the umbrella, and there's over 400 kinds of PI, all of which are rare diseases, but it's basically a malfunction of the immune system in some way. And then CVID in general, I have low immunoglobulin levels. And so basically, I don't have the antibodies to fight off infections. People say it's like going to war with no armor. Mm-hmm. So if I were to get pneumonia and I didn't have any treatment and this was undetected, like I could die. Right. Um, so a lot of people end up finding out about this disease when they've gotten pneumonia or something like that. And they end up in the hospital and they're like, what's going on? So essentially what happens is that you have to get immunoglobulin replacement therapy, which is when you take donated plasma And you can either get an IV or you can give it to yourself subcutaneously, which is what I do. Hmm. That's a little bit more flexible, but you have to have a nurse teach you everything. Right. So then I kind of build, I like to call it like a stand-in immune system. Like I get antibodies that fight off these diseases. So now I have like a fairly normal life, but it's still, if I get like any illness or anything, I have to take like... 20 days of antibiotics sometimes instead of 10. Whoa. Is it, is it kind of like, um, like in the same way that like somebody with diabetes might need to like, um, like check their insulin or like take more insulin or, or, or do whatever they do to like manage their blood sugar levels. Is that like kind of what you do with the subcutaneous needle to like give yourself that armor to fight it, fight, fight the boar? Yeah, it's kind of similar, but I would say it's more like similar to like, giving yourself an IV. So it's, I sometimes do compare it to like diabetes because you are giving yourself something, but this one, the infusions can be an hour to a couple hours. Oh, wow. So you're kind of like sitting and waiting. So like, also it's weird to explain it to people. Cause it's like you subcutaneous tissue is basically fat. So you're taking a needle and like stabbing your fat. Mm-hmm. And so I would insert the needles and they stay in for like, an hour, depending on how oh. often you do it. If I do it, like I used to do it once a month and that was like three hours, but there's some people wow. out there that do it for a really long time. So Whoa. it's a little different than the shot. I think the insulin is more of like a one touch kind of thing, mm-hmm. but this one's like more scheduled, like depending on your immunoglobulin. Does level. it, does it so, look so like you're doing sketchy drugs when you're taking it? 
<laughs> yeah, I have to like, like throw away the needles properly and everything. Like I had to get right. one of those biohazard like yeah. bins. So, right. so Ryan, I, you're, you're the stigma, dude. <laughs> I'm just wondering. Yeah, you're, you're the problem. I, you're I, I the problem. I wasn't asking because I think that. I was wondering like, do you deal with... I, here, let me rephrase Brian's it. the guy that goes into a public bathroom and sees a biohazard like material bin and goes... <laughs> and then complains. I can't believe they do that here. No. What you guys that said the, there was a woman that came that was in Sobeys like like loudly complaining about that the other day? Uh, no. That was not me. No, <laughs> but, anyway, that but, happened. Yeah. But, but my question, what I meant to say was like, do you face a lot of stigma because it could potentially look like you are doing yeah. illicit like Brian doesn't drugs. think that, but he's thinking out loud about, yeah. on behalf of somebody else. Yeah, totally. Well, it's different because I think the hard thing with my disease or like the weird thing is that I could just like hide it from everyone mm-hmm. if I like really wanted to. Like I just sit up in my room. Like I have roommates and they they know about it. I like to like make it known. Um, but like I kind of just sit in my room and do it. So hardly anyone has ever like seen me, like maybe a select group of people. But I did used to live in the sorority house. So I got diagnosed right before I moved in the sorority house. So I'd be like going to the bathroom, which like 25 girls share a bathroom, and I have like these tubes coming out of like my stomach so it's like people are kind of like what is that right like, I don't know. <laughs> did you ever <laughs> did you ever use the injections as like a hazing ritual and just stick the new girls and be like you gotta get some immunoglobulin to, isn't that the best join. word immunoglobulin <laughs> oh no literally I'm just like uh, you guys don't even know what this is <laughs> so I, I actually I'm, I'm curious like like you're saying so so you're saying subcutaneously which is in yeah. fat so like sticking in your butt or your thigh or your belly or whatever yeah but but it's taking it's taking upwards of an hour so I'm yeah. what, what I'm picturing is like um I mean, I'm picturing like a basic syringe with a needle and you're like, you just push Should it in, be. but like that, but that takes like fucking two seconds. So like, what is this? How is it being administered over, over the length of a, uh, an hour upwards of three hours? If it's not, if it's not intravenous, like I'm, I'm picturing hang it yeah. like a bag. It's, yeah. So I, I've had a couple different things. So you can, I used to fill an IV bag. So I'm going like full blown, like mad scientists over here. Like, I have my vials of plasma and then I fill syringes. So the type that I do right now, I fill a syringe and then I have a pump and I attach tubing at the end of the tubing is needles, three needles. I insert the needles and then I put that syringe in a pump and it pumps it over an hour. So it's already set to go at like a certain pace. But obviously when like it doesn't go in your vein, it's under your skin. So it's like if you like kind of touch it, it's like liquidy, kind of like under the skin. Whoa. Like it, it, it goes down. I mm. used to get them really bad. They call them pancakes, where it like raises up. Right. And so yeah, so it's a little bit different. And then I used to fill an IV bag when I did once a month because it was so much liquid. And so I would fill the IV bag, and then I had like a. a really kind of more high tech pump, and I would do all these steps, and then it would go from the IV bag over like, I think it was like three hours. Mm. So it's all kind of set up, but a nurse has to teach you how to do it. And I mean, you have to trust yourself. Like I have no Mm. medical background. Like, Mm -hmm. so I'm just by myself, like doing this, like, I mean, what yeah, was the lear- like a trusted adult. What? Sorry. What, what, what was the learning curve of like, of, of doing all this? Like, was it, 
you know, did you need to be told a couple of times or, or did it take a while to kind of like stick? I think I went in. So they have infusion rooms for this too. Um, so I went in like two or three times, I think while I was learning it. And then they gave me like a YouTube video. So it was hard for me, just the steps and also everything needs to be like really sterile. Like you mm-hmm. don't want to get any infections or anything. Mm-hmm. So I would say it t- took like a, a few times and then like, but when I learned the one with IV, I've had to switch brands a few times. When I learned the one with IV, like a nurse came to my house and a nurse was coming to my house every time, like six months. Cause it was so complicated. Like that one was really hard. So yeah, it's pretty hard. I would say especially for someone like me, I don't like needles. The thought mm. of IVs, ugh, like it is disgusting to me. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was your, um, two, two questions. Like, so if, if you going back to kind of like the time before you got diagnosed, um, so if you, if you were to, if you didn't, when you didn't have your diagnosis or if you hadn't gotten diagnosed or if you weren't treating yourself with the immunoglobulins, with the immunoglobulins, um, <laughs> such a fun word. Uh, so w- what would that look like? Would it be like you just being really susceptible to getting sick? And then if you get sick, like not nearly as functional at getting rid of the sickness. Um, and what did your like frequency of sickness look like before you ended up Mm. at Colorado state. And like, what was the story behind all this? Like all of a sudden showing up in your life. Yeah. So that's what was weird is I was hardly ever sick in high school. I played sports a lot, but I always was tired, but I just thought maybe that was normal. And then I went to school and my first semester, I didn't really get sick. And so I was like at home for winter break And it just came on. I got a really bad ear infection. Like it hurts so bad. So I went to the doctor and they said that I had swollen lymph nodes everywhere. And they said that I might have mono. And so that was kind of like the beginning. But before that, like also maybe I was just like ignoring it when I was younger, but I really don't remember being sick that often. Mm. So that's what was so strange. But actually most people with my disease, they say get diagnosed between age 19 and 40. So there's people in their forties and fifties that like were pretty unaware of this. And so they, they started getting like really sick at one point, like some people it's years. But so I think a lot of times it shows up later in life. There's some people that get diagnosed as children, but that's what was so strange to me. But I was also like very like, I just don't like going to the doctor. I don't like seeming dramatic. So like if something like is happening to me, I'm like, oh, it's fine. Like whatever. And so that's why it took me to that point. And so I got tested for mono and no mono. And so that's what was weird. I was like, yeah, I don't really feel like that good anymore. And then I got strep and I would take antibiotics and it would go away for like a few days and then it would come mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. and then I would get a science infection and then it would come back. So I think I like over six months with like the really intense illness and I was always congested to the point where I like started throwing up every day because oh. I had so much nasal drip. I would lay my head down at night. And then I would throw up and I would sit in my bathroom all night. I would throw up on, I would be walking to class and I would throw up. Like it was crazy. Yeah. Aubrey, you're, you're speaking my language. I mean, I've, I'm, (laughs) I'm far too familiar with that. I like, I was, I wanted to say there, like how fucking 
awful are sinus infections. Like if people don't know, they are literally they're oh, yeah. so one left. so yeah. awful. Horrible. Like they are just I've only truly had one, one of the worst was, things and it, ever. And it was really bad. I thought you were it's awful. I thought you were making a joke chair where you were t- like talking about walking in class in university and throwing <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, like, you, you never did, went to class. You did drink a lot. Did not go to class. Did anybody ever tell you? Did anybody ever say? Oh yeah, you know you've probably had this forever, but it just didn't. Well, like, is it genetic? Like, what is like? Where does it come from? Like, how do you even? How do you get CVID? So I think it's genetic. They say they assume because there's been siblings that have it. I have a brother, and he's perfectly healthy. I'm always (laughs) jealous. So I mean, but who knows? Like, it could show up like maybe in 20 years or something, Mm. but. I've heard of siblings, like I saw one about twins and then I met a girl and her brother had it. So I believe it's genetic. I don't have like a lot of genetic history in my family to go off of. Both of my parents were adopted originally, so not yeah. a lot there. Yeah, they they say here, um, according to the National Organization of Rare Disorders, uh, the cause of CVID is unknown for most patients, but a genetic cause has been identified in about 20% of, okay. uh, of patients. Didn't it say so. something about a lab leak theory, too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it says something here about a pangolin. Uh, some man fucked a pangolin. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Just to come back to the uh, the treatment here. So again, like... Uh, subcutaneous injections of you said it's, it's plasma, right? That's what you're. Yeah. So people okay. donate and then it gets sent to my door in okay. little vials. That oh, was my cool. question. So to get the plasma, you rely on plasma donation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And is that, is there like, I know that, you know, when it comes to like organ donation, there's, there's a really big push currently for organ donation. I think there's, you know, I think a lot of people are, some people are, possibly waiting a long time for like a set of lungs or but you know blood and is blood and plasma donation the same like are they are they separating um, plasma from blood when someone yeah. gives blood so it's kind of intense they take your blood when you give plasma they spin it they take the plasma out they put your blood back in so Oh, oh, okay. So, so you, blood so donation, separate donation. Is, they're, they're separate. Yeah. So, yeah, like, so you would go in and yeah. you would go, I'm going to donate plasma. That's right. They take your blood, they spin yes. it, separate it, give you back your blood without the plasma, and then just yes. keep the plasma. Oh, yeah. shit. Okay. And then your body yeah. makes yeah. the plasma back. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, I, I was, I was wondering if they, I was wondering if they would go, uh, I mean, I guess this would maybe defeat the purpose of blood donation, I guess, if you just took the blood because they people who need blood donation probably also need the plasma that's in the blood. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that would be a separate thing because usually plasma centers, I think they only take plasma, but I'm not sure about blood. I think it's a different thing, too, because blood is mostly donation and plasma. They pay for it. 
Oh, okay. So oh. you can make like eight hundred dollars a month um donating plasma. I I don't know if it's because it's more rare. The fuck? The plasma shortage. <laughs> yeah, if you need fuck. some extra cash, go donate. Jared just found well, a new career. Oh, I'm fucking totally cool with IV needles now. I, <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be they're going to be giving me $800 a I month. I almost guarantee you are that's not allowed in Canada. Uh, yeah. yeah. I almost guarantee it. It's, probably I think not. it's only in the US. Like the CSL centers are like everywhere here. So, like I've written about that a little bit like there's a different, like, there's a few different places that you can go, but I don't know about any other countries, but here, yeah, some people go fairly often, but you have to, like, make sure you're, like, keeping up your own health, like, totally. drinking yeah. water and things like that. Brian, did you find something interesting here? Canadian Plasma Resources from giveplasma.ca. A qualified donor can donate plasma twice in every seven days period at the most. You will receive $30 and up to $65 Per donation, right? Okay. And so, wait, do the math there. That's that's twice in twice in what? Max. Twice in a week. Yeah. Yeah. So 130 times eight. So eight. So uh, sorry, 130 times four. So 400 and four four five hundred twenty bucks. Oh, okay. Well, you get you get. There's do like, you get a cookie? There's a compensation they give and snacks <laughs> and reward plan graphic that is like a really nice serious? graphic. Oh yeah. And it has you get paid based off of the volume that they get from you. Oh, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, that's the way this looks here. So there's like the first donation of the week, no matter how much volume you get, it is uh, $30. Your second donation of the week, depending on the volume, um, if you get, if you get 875 to 975 milliliters, which is, I guess like a, a fairly significant Plasma? amount that sounds like a lot you get anywhere from 55 to 65 dollars depending on your reward level so there's like three tiers of reward levels based off of how much you do they like, pay for your frequency. uber ride home because I, I feel like you'd be pretty woozy after yeah, that i, feel like <laughs> I think you could probably get it i mean it's probably yeah. sort of factored into like <laughs> right, the right. way that they decide uh, how much Aubrey, they is, there a, is there a um like, like at least in canada and i feel like it's probably i'm assuming it's similar in the u.s like there's it's there's like always a really big push on for blood to yeah. donate blood because there's just a blood shortage I guess um, is it is it is that ever have you ever run into that issue or heard that issue for plasma or because people get paid to give it is it maybe not so much of like a, an issue with getting your hands on the supply um I haven't faced a shortage, but I've heard of it happening before. Some people need a lot more plasma than I do. Like some people are like frequently more so hospitalized and they need like a higher dosage. Um, but I've never faced it. It scares yeah. me, but I try not to look it up because then I'll get freaked out. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I've heard of that like a little bit like with insulin for people with diabetes to mm -hmm. like people talking about that. Yeah. Um, I haven't faced it. I think the hard thing is you, you have to set it up right with insurance too, because it's just really expensive. Um, I have insurance, so I'm lucky and I don't have to, you know, pay like hefty fees on it, but mm. that's the other thing. So mm. you have to have like a good insurance set up for it too. I just, I know it's, really expensive i don't know how much but i know it's a lot yeah. guys i want to i want to just read this one more thing about the donation reward program because i just think it's <laughs> it's cool how it's set up they give is you that cool they give you miles they, you do it is kind of like that type of reward program because on your third donation 
if it's made within 14 days of your first donation, you get a $50 oh. bonus. And nice. <laughs> on your eighth donation, when you donate eight times within eight weeks of your first donation, you get a hundred dollar bonus. Damn dude. That, that's so if, better than the, uh, than the dog food, uh, thing they got going on at the place where I buy my dog food. Dude, dude you could get serious, your 10th bag. Is serious free. Op- financial operation. You could get, your, it actually is. you could get your dog food covered by <laughs> yeah, donating wow. your plasma. Right, right. Yeah. You could look at it that way. Hey, um, Hey, if you're listening to this and you're driven by money, Start donating plasma today um, to help people like Aubrey. Aubrey, how, what would that yeah. look like? What do you, or I guess you haven't faced it yet, so I'm, so you're probably not certain. But like, what do you, what might that look like for you if you were to all of a sudden be in a situation where you were like, oh shit, I can't give myself up my plasma. Mm. Yeah, I've wondered that. Um, I think it would probably take a while for me to get to like a really bad spot. I don't know how long it stays in your system because I do it once every two weeks. So I give a certain amount or I get a certain amount like once every two weeks. Um, I don't know. I think I would just start getting really sick. And I think a lot of times when it comes time for my next infusion, right before is when you're at your lowest before your next one. So I get really down kind of tired Sometimes I don't know if it's a placebo effect because like, I know I haven't gotten it. Mm. Um, but a lot of people say that happens. I, I feel like if I was like a month or two out is when I would start to get really stressed out. I think it just happens to be like, if I come across something, bronchitis is really bad for people like me, yeah. pneumonia. Like if I got exposed to something like that, mm. it could be like really bad, but is I've it- never gone to like that point really. Is that where, um, like, does because does Glild come <laughs> as like a result of CVID? Is that it, it, it? Does it happen as a result of of that? Because it seems like you're really kind of in this branch of uh, like lung infections. Yeah. So, like, twenty five percent, I think, of people with CVID get Glild. So, what was happening was that basically glild is like little nodules in your lungs and then your lungs can shrink. And so my doctors actually found swollen lymph nodes all over my body and they actually thought it was lymphoma. And so I, I straight up thought I had lymphoma for like a while. And so I got like two surgeries to get these lymph nodes removed because they can't really get in the lungs very easily to like get them out or in the stomach. So I got them under my arms, like removed and there was no cancer. So then they thought, you know, this could be connected to Glild. And then the treatment, actually, I think lymphoma patients do use it. Sometimes it's rituximab or truxema. It's basically a lymph node shrinker. And then I take this medication every day. So yeah, this does go hand in hand. So some people don't ever deal with glue that have CVID, but you're at a pretty, you know, pretty much higher risk. You're also at risk for the swollen lymph nodes and things like that too. So mm-hmm. I also, that's why I have to push myself to do like cardio and things like that, even though I don't always want to, because you have to keep those lungs going. Um, it can just cause like shortness of breath. So mm-hmm. then if I were to get any kind of like lung infection, it could just, yeah, it could make it not feel very good. Mm-hmm. So, so is the like in terms of treatment for Glild? Um, is there anything anything specific that you are taking or doing, or is it is it really just like look you got to keep you got to like make sure your lungs are at the like 
peak of their capacity by by forcing yourself to get out there and be like physically active? Um, the main thing is taking my medication and doing the rituximab. So the rituximab is a seven hour infusion, like an IV, two different days, like two weeks apart. And so that can shrink those nodules. Mm. And then after that, to like keep it at bay, uh, you take like mycophenolate. I think it's like Celsept is like the generic name. So I take that every day. Um, that's did you not say, like did you say Michael Feltonate? Michael, Mycophenolate. I think I'm saying Michael. that right. Okay. Michael Michael Fennelly. Michael it's, Phelps rate. Brian knows it. Brian Brian knew a Michael Fennel late, and that's why. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's like a frat bro name. Yeah. Yeah, totally, <laughs> yeah. So, but other than that, yeah, obviously, like, don't smoke cigarettes, like things like that. Like, try to do what you can. Um, I have to get like pulmonary function tests like all the time, like. Yeah scans that kind of stuff just to make sure um but i don't like feel that much symptoms from it right now man it's it's so wild like to think so so the cvid already a rare disease Mm -hmm. and then and then out of the people that have cvid (laughs) approximately 15 percent of patients end up with glilled so you have a rare disease with a (laughs) rare symptom of the rare disease which puts you in this bracket that is like extraordinarily rare and and yeah. like just a quick little like sort of search here about Glilled, like there's really not a lot of info. Like they're like um, like they the 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 it remains like very much understood in the world of medicine. Misunderstood, like not sorry, misunderstood? yes, misunderstood because because <laughs> it is a rare symptom of a rare disease. Like that is that's pretty yeah. uh, that's pretty wild. One one thing that that strikes me too is it like all of these different types of treatments and the stuff that you have to do, it sounds um like being in the United States that that could be very expensive. Mm. Um but I'm mm-hmm. I'm guessing that you had some sort of insurance coverage either through school or through your family. And I'm yeah. wondering how like you, you mentioned that you work for a tech startup. I'm curious if like insurance and having health insurance was part of like your job search criteria when you were mm. looking for employment. Yeah. So luckily I'm 23 and I can be on my dad's health insurance till I'm 26. So I'm going to ride that till the wheels fall off. Totally. But So basically my dad, um, when this all happened, my dad has really good insurance. Like my family's on there. My brother is like 25. So I don't know if he's on his own or anything, but we were all kind of on that one and it was really good. And so when I found out about it, we just started on that. And I mean, I've had conversations like with my family about when I turn 26 and that's something that I really, really need to think about. And I know that it's probably going to be really complicated because I have all this stuff on the insurance I'm on right now. But yeah, I mean, I have to go somewhere that has good insurance. This stuff is so expensive. Like when I saw the bills for like my surgeries, like before insurance, like it's actually shocking. I still have to pay for like some things, you know, like I I was getting lots and lots of kind of random bills from all the things I was doing. But Mm -hmm. yeah, that is something that's really, really important. And like usually someone my age wouldn't have to think about that as much. So Mm. that's kind of what was weird. Like before this, I didn't know anything about insurance. Like my dad kind of just handled everything, which I was really grateful for because 
that stuff really confuses me, but I'm I'm gonna have to figure totally. it out. How, yeah. How much like at, over the span of a month? Uh or if that's too if that's too broad, like maybe even a week or two weeks, like how much time are you dedicating to managing your your illness? Um, I would say so like once did you say like a month or something? Yeah, over the span of a month or or a week or whatever, like if that's if that's too much to calculate, like like over the span of a week or two weeks, like how much are you on a day to day basis or a week to week basis based on the 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 sort of transfusions and stuff, like how how much time do you have to sink into to disease management? Um, yeah. So I would say, you know, once every two weeks I have to do this infusion that takes up a night after work. So that's like twice a month. Um, and then other than that, I don't have to go to the doctor. I, as much as I used to, I used to have to go a ton and I was driving from Fort Collins to Denver, which is like an hour and a half. And I was doing that very frequently. Now I'd say maybe a a couple appointments a month and then kind of just going through all my test results and things like that. So I would say now maybe only like a good several days of the month. Am I like really like dedicating? I've tried to like free my mind a little bit because it used to take up 100% of my mind. I was so anxious Mm. all the time especially back when it was really rampant. I, I like thought I had cancer Mm -hmm. because I also had low white blood cells. So I was told, you know, that might mean leukemia or lymphoma. So Mm -hmm. I was getting, I got a bone marrow biopsy, lymphoma, like all the lymphoma stuff. So 24 seven, I was thinking like, am I going to drop out of school? Like, what am I going to do? Like, I need to tell my boss this, like all this stuff, like so that used to be all the time. But now Ooh. I would say, um, sorry about that. Now I would say that maybe several days of the month. And then other than that, I try to just pretend like I'm a normal person. Mm. Unless I get an infection, then I have to, I basically have to go to doctor mm. ASAP and get antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Right. What's it like trying to manage the like, because that, that sounds, I mean, that sounds like really tough dealing with the you know potential um, leukemia or lymphoma diagnosis and going through all that testing and stuff. Emotionally, it sounds really challenging. Um, did, did you like ever see a therapist or have any other sort of strategies to manage your mental health during that time? Yeah. So Colorado state actually does have like five free therapy sessions each semester, which was amazing. So I had a girl that I went to um, yeah, I feel like it was always a lot because I would just show and be like crying. Like, I think I have cancer. My life's over, like all this stuff. Like I have no future. Like, and that was the thing is like, I was just convinced that like my life was over. Like, I'm never going to get married one day. I'm never going to have kids. I'm never going to have a career, like all this stuff. And so, yeah, I would go to a, a therapist pretty frequently. And then you just, I had to find like, you have to find like really good supportive, like friends and also like confide in like your family, like any kind of support group. Like my friends were like really there for me during all this, which was really good too. And just have people that I confide in. I think talking about it really helped. I just didn't want to a lot of the times. Like Mm -hmm. I felt like I was crazy. Like I was like, I know I'm not making it up, but it feels like I'm like making it up. Like and I'm being dramatic and I'm like burdening all these people. But in reality, like you have to talk about it. And also just, I have to tell myself over and over, like, I cannot control this. And me worrying about this is doing nothing. 
Mm. Like I literally almost sprouted a gray hair from this. Like I was going insane (laughs) and that's just no, that's not a way to live. And Mm -hmm. the thing is, is like, I actually didn't end up getting a cancer diagnosis. So the time that I spent like worrying and stressing out, I look back and I'm like, I didn't need to give all my energy to this. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was actually, I said this to you, uh, Brian, like a couple weeks ago now I was listening to this. Uh, I was listening to Sam Harris um, when he was on Lex Friedman's podcast last. And he kind of brought up this, he brought up this sort of like framework for thinking about for, for worrying that was mm-hmm. really interesting where he started to, he was talking about this idea that he had been kind of like thinking about for the last couple of years and hadn't really like fleshed it out very, very much, but he was like, well, kind of what I, here's what I got. So he's talking about, um, probability, um, or pop pot or possibility. And he was like, so if we, if we, if we flip a coin, we think that there's a 50, 50 chance that it'll be heads or tails. But the yeah. reality is that, but, but it will actually only be one. Mm-hmm. Even, even though before that, we kind of like assign this probability that it could be one or the other. But really, it will just be what it is. And, yeah. and, and, th- and thinking that it could have been something else. So he was talking this. So this was like kind of the context about worrying into the past. <laughs> was like thinking that it could have been another thing doesn't actually exist. Because it didn't. It wasn't. So it could not possibly have been because it wasn't. So why worry about that? But what if it was? And then thinking into the fu- <laughs> and then thinking into the future and going, oh, it could be A or C. Like, or do we think about like the things that are within our control mm. that we that we have some degree of control other uh, over, you know, outside of the flip of a coin that can like that can push us into the direction of like achieving the things mm-hmm. that we want that that sort of limit the amount of things that we need to worry about. And, like, so it was kind of this idea that like. Worrying, it doesn't exist, dude. It's the it's the worry <laughs> yeah. flow chart. Haven't you seen the worry flow yes, chart? Yes, exactly. Yeah, the worry flow chart is if you can fix the problem, then why worry about it? Because there's a solution. And if you can't yeah. fix the problem, then why, then worry, why about worry about it? it? Because you can't fix it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, there's basically never any need. To, but it, I mean, obviously, easier said than done. And, he, yeah. and, so, <laughs> yeah. and so, and so that he, his, his point was kind of like the possibility is what we worry about. We worry right. about the possibility mm-hmm. because we fr- we frame it as it could be this or it could be that, yeah. mm. and and when in reality th- there's only there is only one, and that's sort of like what we need to focus on. Mm. And I mean, I think I think again, like people that we speak to, they go they go through all sorts of different shit, and they and a lot of people, if not most or if not all, come out of not come out of, but. Um, along with their experience of being sick with whatever it is, they oftentimes gain a more mature perspective on yeah. life. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the most, one of the most important things that if, if we can even get there at any point in our lives is to realize that like worrying about stuff that's outside of your control is ultimately just like a total waste of time. And, and yeah. I mean, it's also going to affect your health. Totally. Like, oh my God. like physically, yeah. mentally. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. Yeah. I am. Um, I, I'm really curious. I mean, we, we just, we just recorded an episode with um, another young woman, uh, similar age to you uh, named Rachel, who, who like out of the blue was diagnosed with MS. And, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that came up in conversation was like, 
how as a, as a young person, you know, who's like at that age where, um, you know, like you're, you're typically trying to be social and, and, you know, there's like, there's, there, you, you're, you're thinking about like dating and all, you know, all these things. How does living with an invisible illness, uh, like CVID affect your social life? How does it affect your dating life? Um, what are the kinds of things that you that sort of shifted for you in that realm uh, between the times of not having C- CVID and, and all of a sudden living with this new thing? Yeah. Um, so this is something that I like to focus on talking about um, on my website. I write about this a lot is like it does change your perspective of a lot of things. And like you said, like dating was a really big thing for me. When I got diagnosed, I was single and I was 19. And you're not really thinking about anything past college at that point. Like, it's like, okay, like one day I'll meet someone and whatever. And then you get this disease and it's like, if I'm with someone, they have to commit to basically taking care of me and dealing with all this extra stuff that people my age don't deal with. So it changes a lot of your perspective of when you're getting to know people of like, okay, like I'm looking for different qualities kind of than I even thought that I was looking for before of like, I need someone to understand me and be there for me. And also personally with my treatments, I didn't like to do them alone. Sometimes I would do my infusions alone, but I either like to have a friend around or one day, like at the time I was thinking a significant other would do this with me. And so I remember I used to think all the time, like, why didn't this happen to me when I was like 40 and I had a husband and a house? (laughs) Like, why did this happen to me when I'm like feeling like I'm floating like alone in the universe? Like, Mm -hmm. obviously, like I said, I had great friends. Like I was in an awesome sorority. Like I was really lucky and I have a really great family support system too. But you have to look for qualities in someone that will take you seriously, will accept you, understand you and is not, you know, freaked out by it, that's willing to learn. And that's willing to kind of like, you know, if something bad happens, if I fall really ill tomorrow, like, I'm going to need someone to stick by my side. And so I I had um, the disease, I want to say, I think almost two <laughs> years, I was getting my surgeries to see if I had lymphoma. And after my second surgery is when I started hanging out with my now boyfriend, we've been together for two years now. We had always known each other. I had known him since before I had my disease. And I had, we had like a big friend group. It was like their fraternity and our sorority would like hang out and stuff. But I only told like certain people in the group about what was going on. Like if I told most of that group that I might have cancer, they'd be like, what the hell? I didn't even know any of this was happening. Mm-hmm. So I one day just told him, I'm like, I'm actually having surgery tomorrow. My parents are in town. I might have cancer. So that's the vibe. <laughs> and like he actually is the nicest person ever and I knew that he was like the perfect person of how he responded and that's kind of what I like I recently wrote an article about this like dating with chronic illness like when do you tell them what do you look for and it's it's how they respond when you tell them mm. and it can be the same thing with friends too like not that anyone would be mean and be like screw you <laughs> like I hate you mm-hmm. but it's just like I'm kind of looking for a good like caretaker quality 
And if I wasn't going through this, I wouldn't need that. But now my boyfriend, he basically knows how to do almost the whole steps of the infusion. So like he does, you know, he fills syringes, all that stuff. Like I put in needles, but that's something that's so nice. Like, and something that like 19 year old me was like such a sad, like little girl. Like (laughs) when I look back on it, because I never like, I never thought those like good things were like going to be for me. Like Mm. I thought I was going to be alone, like crying in my room, like every time. And like, yeah, so it definitely changed a lot. And with social settings, like, you know, I'd have a surgery and then my arm would be like all like this. And then I'm like going out to like someone's house or something. And they're like, why is your arm like that? And it's just like, (laughs) but looking back, I wish I was more open. Like, I don't feel like I, I felt like I kind of like hid it a little bit sometimes. Like I would downplay it and hide it. I'd be like in my little shell. Mm-hmm. and even now I do it, but that's why I started like a website and I started writing about it because I'm like, I'm not going to like hide in my shell anymore. And like through that, like people have DM'd me on Instagram, people have reached out and they are my age and they're going through the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. And I meet girls that are like a few years younger than me. And I'm like, girl, like, let me tell you everything that I wish I knew. Like your life is not doomed. Like I literally was like, I'm going to die alone. <laughs> like, you know, but Mm. that didn't happen. So Mm -hmm. yeah, you need like, um, you need to, you need to be, I think, especially if you feel like you didn't have, I shouldn't say you need to be, but if you feel like you can be, um, a resource for people who are, are inevitably going to be going through the same or very similar situation that you went through, like to take up that, um, Cause that's not a small thing. Like it's, it, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's an, it's an effort. And, and I don't begrudge, I don't begrudge anybody for being like, Oh wow. That's like too much for me to like, to try and, to try and help guide somebody else through it because they, you know, everybody goes through things in their own way. Um, but, um, very, very, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say valiant. Valiant was the first word that came to my head, but I'm looking for a different word. Radical. Brave, very radical, very sick, brave, very sick, <laughs> cool, very awesome, tight. Um, thing Slick. to do to you know to 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 like to to be able to give that to be able to give that advice and like help somebody through through that time and and be a resource for somebody mm. because because can everybody everybody's going through something mm. everybody's going through something that somebody else has already gone mm. through and yeah that's if we true. if there's resources out there if there's people who can help with like facilitating that transition when you think that your world is coming to an end. I mean, especially if you're, you know, on the younger side of things, because I mean, basically from 15 to 20, I feel like I thought that everything was going to, was ending my world, no matter what it was. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Probably, probably a girl most of the time, but I think the, the one, one thing that you said that that really stuck out to me is, is, is that idea of like, it's how the person responds to you when you, when you, mm-hmm. when you tell them these things, um, Jared mentioned that we were talking to another young woman right before this and, and it, it, it's like, man, that must be such a hard thing when you're dating and like you, you tell somebody about this like challenge that you're going through and you don't know how they're going to respond. I think that's mm-hmm. really powerful to like, like instead of thinking about, um, what you're going to tell them and how they might react, like just really understanding how, like what their reaction may tell you about them. Because we oftentimes talk about how like 
these things can actually be really great filters for mm. filtering out shitty people in your life who you know might otherwise stick around for a bit because you didn't have the chance to like really find mm-hmm. out who they were. Um, and it also makes me think of uh, we we also talked in the, this other conversation about our friends at Datability, and I'm curious if you've heard about uh, Datability because they're from Colorado as, as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, right. Oh, so, where at? They were in, they, do they live in Boulder? They literally were, they literally came from the, the belly of that, uh, satanic devil. Oh, uh, at the airport. The airport. Yeah. The airport. phallic imagery. They, uh, they're from, they're from, some, some are from Colorado, but Datability is a, uh, dating app for people that have, it's like Tinder, but for people oh. who have illness or chronic illness. Mm. Um, oh. And it's a, it's a really neat idea um, because, you know, one of the founders, she she has a, a chronic illness and mm. her whole thing was like, man, it fucking sucks sometimes to go out trying yeah. to date and trying to have that conversation. Like, when do I tell the person? And I've told people and they have this fucking, you know, negative reaction or whatever. And so it was yeah. like for people to join, if it's like, hey, if, if you have chronic illness, Join this app. If you don't give a flying fuck if your potential partners have a chronic illness, join this app kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I I always feel like it's um it feels really like valuable to bring it up in these conversations all the yeah. time because like I feel like it could be a really great resource for people. But I know that like if if I was um not in a relationship and, and out dating again, I would totally as somebody who doesn't have a chronic illness, I would join this app yeah. because I imagine that you can find really real people yeah. who are like willing mm-hmm. to um you know have really genuine and open conversations and not that you have to be you know chronically sick to be able to have these types of things yeah. uh, to ha- have these types of connections with each other types of conversations but i mean oftentimes people who have been through really tough situations have a really unique yeah well you can um, t- perspective I mean, on life i mean we i mean we can all attest to the like the trend that we see in talking with people who live with really difficult things. That They're the like, coolest people. That there's like <laughs> a maturity, there's like an openness, there's like an ability to discuss and talk about. And, and maybe there's a bias there because it's people who apply to be on the show and stuff. But like, you know, I, I there certainly seems to be at least anecdotally. I mean, it's not really anecdotal anymore. This is our 400th conversation, like we said. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a little past anecdotal. But like, there definitely seems to be a trend with talking to people that yeah. like there's... Something that is, I mean, yeah, we talk about this all the time and we mentioned it earlier, like people who go through this, who go through, who, who have illness yeah. or whatever, they like, man, tough shit. Yeah. It, it, it teaches you lessons and, and yeah. oftentimes you come out, you come out a better person in, 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 a, in a lot of different ways. Well, speaking of teaching lessons, um, Aubrey, you mentioned it earlier, but you have a blog, um, aubreywithgrace.com. Um, yes. tell us about the blog. What do you like? What do you, uh, what do you, why do you have this blog? What are you trying to get out there? Like, what is it? What are the things that you're trying to share with the world through Aubrey, uh, with grace.com? Yeah. So I kind of got the name cause I'm Aubrey Grace Johnston. So little play on words there. And I thought about the word grace and I kind of thought about giving yourself grace and giving other people grace because, I just like, I always thought back to like kind of those dark times and I had never really fully shared on my Instagram. When I graduated college, I made a post about it. And that was a lot of time or like a lot of people, it was their first time like hearing about my disease. Maybe that had been acquaintances and things like that. And I got, you know, 
some really touching response about it. And so I had been thinking about sharing more, but actually at my tech startup, I work with people that own and operate websites. And I would look at all their websites. and I was like, that's really cool. I don't know how to do this, but I want to know. So I started designing my website. It took a little while, but it was really, really fun. And I found out that I really liked it. And so I wanted to go along these themes of a spreading awareness about this disease. A lot of people don't know about it. Spreading awareness about donating plasma as well. And also just showing that your life is not over when you get a chronic illness and kind of showing that there's a light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of people. I wanted to be that resource that I didn't have when I was diagnosed. I didn't know a single person with the disease I actually didn't even meet anyone with the disease until after I started the blog because people started reaching out to me and then I started texting people and I joined a group online. But before that, like I was even like, I was just so, like I said, like kind of in my shell about it that I didn't even really get out there, join groups or anything until this. And so what I'm trying to spread on there is I talk about a few different things and also mental health as well. Kind of like we talked about, about, you know, worry, anxiety, receiving a diagnosis, what it means to be happy, things like that. And so I really, really liked writing these articles and I want to continue growing it as well. Um, And so it's been a really, really cool experience. And I've even learned more about my disease through this. I learned more about, you know, Rare Disease Day, how there's a PI Awareness Month, things like that too. And so, yeah, it's been a cool experience so far. I feel like I've gotten to connect with a lot of people. I I love when people reach out to me. It like, it just touches my heart like so much. And also Mm. it's cool because, you know, you're not alone. I used to feel (laughs) so misunderstood. And kind of like you said, like ages 15 to 20, like everything is the apocalypse. Like the sky's falling. No one understands me. But that's like legitimately how I was. I was like, I just want someone to like see me like I want to feel seen and like that's kind of also was my inspiration behind it and I started writing about that too like okay like to be seen like you have to like you have to put yourself out there Mm. or else people aren't gonna know like if I don't tell people about this that's kind of the invisible illness aspect of it like if I don't tell people about this they don't know so I can't like act like I'm so misunderstood like if I'm not sharing with people Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good point. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, again, folks, if you want to check it out, aubreywithgrace.com. Um, and uh, it's, it's, uh, you did, you did a great job. Like, it's a great site. Um, and, Thank you. and I think, like, I think this, this sort of thing is really important, especially when it comes to diseases again that like don't get a lot of play time, you know, like, yeah. again, I never even, I never in my life heard of CBID. And we're the guys that host the fucking podcast about talking to people about it, right? <laughs> so um, I think it's really great what you're doing. Um, what would you say, out of everything you've been through with CVID, what would you say is the biggest thing that it's taken away from you? Mm, I don't. I don't like that I have to rely on the plasma infusions forever. I mean, there's a possibility it's not forever, but it probably is to me it really felt like a life sentence. It it doesn't seem like that big of a deal sometimes, but I think that's what's hard is like, I, you know, I, I work nine to five, you know, after work, like, I don't want to do this. Like I like every, 
other week when it comes up, like I like I'll be real with everyone. Like I don't want to do this. And I also wrote an article about that. And people were saying like, I feel the same way. Like it's not even that it's that bad. I think that I have always get this like sense of dread. And so I feel like I'm kind of still working through that, which also it's okay to just be like, this sucks and I hate it. I'm, I have to do it anyway, but you can just be like, this sucks. And so I think that's the point I've gone to of like, okay, like I wanted to, so my dream was to go to Spain to teach English in one of those programs. Um, I, one of my majors was Spanish. So I was communications in Spanish. I love learning languages and I love traveling. So that was my dream. And like senior year my doctor basically said, no, I can't do that because they can't get the plasma over there. Mm. And I, that was like my, I wanted to travel so bad. I wanted to get out there and it's like, okay, well, like other people are doing it. Like, so I think that's what sucks is that I always have to take that into account no matter what I do. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day, I mean, that's another thing. Maybe there'll be more research. Like doctors are researching this. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Like they could come up with something else. Yeah. You, yeah. You really, you really never, never know. Man, when you think about, I mean, so how, how old are you now? Like in your early twenties, 20, 20, 23, 23. When you think about like when you are, I don't know, 50, so 27 years from now, um, like think about what was going on 27 years ago. Yeah, they're going to know how to make you. It wasn't even an internet. 1996. <laughs> yeah, like like the internet was basically like people were like, "Dude, fucking dial-up internet." Google was like, "Hey, we're a company." Like the world has fucking changed so drastically. Yeah. In 27 years, they're going to be able to make you 23 again. I would love that. I have a fear of aging. Hey, uh, <laughs> my garment said my fitness age is 23. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm 32. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> just uh, whatever. So yep. <clears throat> Keep, We're uh, basically the same age. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yep. Yep. Uh, what would you ways. say is the biggest thing <laughs> that it's given you? Um, It's given me a brand new perspective on life and weirdly enough i feel like i have reached so much emotional maturity and i feel like i have reduced like my anxiety and depression levels by like at least 75 percent from going through this which sounds weird because it caused a lot of that but i think at the other end of it like i don't have like as much fear because i know that i already survived it so like whatever is coming I I survived this. So why can't I survive the next thing? Like mm. if it comes I'll just I'll just do it, you know. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. I life, love it. Life experience, man. I love that. Yeah. And and again, like I feel like that's one of the things that we hear time and time and time again talking to people about, you know, what's the thing that you took away from the hardship that you've been through and it's in, you know, in yeah. in more or less the same kind of words it's that it's just like i've been through this like there's there's it just speaks to resiliency and that's uh that's that's really rad aubrey uh thank you for this this has been this has been a real treat um yeah, again yes. folks uh you can check out uh aubrey's website uh lots of information there um and uh and yeah this has been this has been a real delight thank you so much for taking time on your schedule to chat with us thank you thank you for having me this has been awesome 
Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And, of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.